Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Y'all on board with that? It's far better His way. Have you done it your own way first? Like for a long time, like me, till you're completely miserable? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it never works your way. No, I found it's, it's, that's the road of misery. That's what I found. <laughs> you can trick yourself into thinking you're doing all right for like a minute, right, Peter? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't last. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, want to start this morning with like a mini message. It deserves, it deserves to be like the whole message, or it could be like months of teaching, honestly. But um, it feels like um, it's impressed on me that it's kind of the place to start. So I'm just going to give like a snapshot of something really big. Um, but you know there are, and you know this, I know you know this, you know there are ways, different ways that you approach God. Right, different ways you have relationship with him. Not exactly the same every time, like any relationship you have, right? And um, although it would be accurate to say that he um, that he's approached in like infinite ways because he is infinite, and the uniqueness and the individualness that he made in all of us makes it so that like nobody will ever approach him exactly like you do at any exact moment, right? Um, on the other hand, when you, when you look in the word of God, when you see the words of Jesus, some of the parables that he told, some of the things that he teaches, there, he really presents that there are three um, primary ways that we approach God, okay? Um, one is he, um, and we were just praying the Lord's Prayer um, by the leading of the Spirit. One of the ways is we approach him as Father, and I'm, I'm going to do some of these really quick just because it's leading us somewhere. But, um, and it really starts there when they say, how do we pray? In other words, how do we talk to God? How do we approach God? Jesus says, start with our Father, right? You have to start with like this unconditional love. You start with the awareness that um, I'm God's kid, <laughs> right? And we approach that way. Now, I want to tell you, see, what is a father? A father is unconditional love. It's provision. It's um, all the things that a, that a father is. So when we're deeply in need, that's actually um, a way that we approach him. Does, does that make sense? Um, in fact, I think he's so infinite in um, who he is and his love for us is so infinite that he had to give like various metaphors and various ways of understanding how do we intimately relate with him um, and so the father is that first one so when we have needs when we when we um, approach as his child then we approach him that way right um, so what's another one uh, um, the second one that i think jesus talks about in parables and teachings is he says we approach him as judge right and that's a very do you approach a father the same way you'd approach a judge not, not exactly, right? Um, in fact, not even close, really. It's a totally different approach. And yet Jesus, um, perhaps sometimes we'll go, sometime we'll go look at all of his words, um, but he actually puts a lot of energy into showing us that one of the ways we approach him is as judge. And in that context, it's always when um, you need victory over an enemy, 
you need freedom from something that's plaguing you, right? You know you're in, um, we are very much in a spiritual warfare, right? And when you need victory over the enemy, there is a court case, there is a court case going on concerning you and Jesus teaches and in his parables he presents um, he presents the truth that when we need victory from that we need a different verdict from the courts and we approach we enter into the courts of God and we approach him as judge and we plead our case what's what's our case Jesus. Jesus is our case. When we go into those courts, most of the time, if not all the time, I don't I guess we could debate that, but we go in without excuse. Most of the time we're on the wrong side of the court case, except for the blood of Jesus. Right? And we bring the blood of Jesus and we get a different verdict. But that's approached when we're fighting the war. Well, those are the ones we're not talking about this morning. And um I just can't help but put out there. The third one that he presents and, and puts energy into, in other words, he wants you to understand, is approaching him as friend. Okay? Um, God, first of all, isn't that a mind blower? <laughs> the creator of the universe um, has a desire to be your friend desires to have your friendship. In fact, it started that way, right? He walked, he hung out with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the garden. And then they fell and messed that up. Well, today, um, we're going to talk about Abraham. Um, in fact, let me just kind of start here. Do you know, um, it feels off subject, but I don't think it is. You know the story of Noah and the flood? It really kind of illustrates um, two things, I think. Okay? The flood, come, why does God bring the flood? He needs to eradicate and wipe out evil um, because it's harming man. Um, and so the first thing that it illustrates is that he always provides a way. He, he loves man, so he always has an ark. He, Jesus is the ark. He always has a deliverance, right? But the other thing that story tells us is that um, as long as man, until we're perfected, when he comes back we, and we see him as he is, and so therefore we become perfect like him, until that time, as long as man goes on, the problem persists. So, I mean, even just Noah and his family brings the problem with, right? And so I just bring that up because um, who's the next most prominent one in the story? Is Abraham, right? Or at the beginning, Abram. Had his name changed. Now, one of the things that's really clear in the Word of God is that um, Abram is God's reaching out to restore friendship. Do you know that? There are places... Um, I'm sorry, I've already gone way off course for you. So um, that just, that happened and we'll work together. <laughs> um, and so we're going to look at that in some intimate ways this morning, okay? Do you know y'all have friends? Um, if you have friends, you're doing better than, like I, than me when I was a kid. I was a very ch troubled, I was a challenged kid. I didn't really have friends. So in a minute, I'm going to tell you a story, but I just want to be transparent for a minute and tell you that one of the hardest um, things in my life to walk through with God was getting a handle on the fact that he was my friend. Because I couldn't even fathom that another person would want to be my friend at one point in my level of health and my woundedness 
the, the shame, the, the way I felt about myself. So um, mind-blowing stuff. So I just want to, um, at least for me, it was mind-blowing. Um, we're going to jump into some scriptures here, but I, I want to tell you a story, and um, it's a testimony. Um, you know, testimony is just not the day when you're saved, right? What's testimony? Testimony, he calls us to be a witness. It's a legal word. Testimony is being a witness to who God is. That's testimony. Um, and this, this is part or one of my testimonies, okay? Um, when, I, uh, when I went to Wheaton to begin to get my master's degree, um, it was kind of this shuffle. It, like God used to do things until I got married and then I became one flesh with my wife and everything changed. But it used to be that like God would say, move now and we would, we would be off and um, doing this and everything was real quick in my life. Wait, 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 and then real quick. Anybody else had it like that? Or at least for seasons? So I went off to school. Um, I lived in my truck for a couple of weeks because I got this acceptance and it started immediately. Buy your books, you start. and even have a place to live. So I was just sleeping in the driver's seat, my little Ford Ranger. Um, and I had just started classes, and I don't even remember what the challenge or the struggle was at the beginning, but I was dealing with something. Maybe it was finding a place to live. I don't really remember that part. Um, but I was earnestly praying. I was asking God for something, and I was getting radio silence. And I'm asking for solutions. I'm asking for help, and I'm getting no answers. And so I start to share with another uh, another student, and they say, um, you know, you should, I was taking a class with a man named Dr. Lyle Dorset. He was one of the most influential people on me that's just changed my life. I barely knew him. I'd only had like three classes with him at this point, and someone advised me, said, go talk to him. Have him pray for you. Have him get some advice, and I'm like, okay. So I go talk to him, make an appointment, I meet him in his office and I tell him the same thing. I say, you know, I'm praying, I'm getting no answers. It's, God's just silent and I need some help here. And, um, and he used to do this thing, he would rub his beard and go, hmm. And it would make you feel deeply loved like he was not only hearing you but he could feel what you're saying. I've tried it with people and people just look at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> That part doesn't work for me. But he would go, mmm. And he looks at me and goes, mmm. And then he says, and then this is what he says. He begins the conversation. <clears throat> that would change my life. He says, uh, when you're talking to God, says he leans over holding his beard, are you fretting? And I'm like, well, yeah. Yes, I'm thinking, were you listening? Like, I'm, I'm losing my mind. I'm fretting here. That's why I'm meeting with you. And he's going, hmm. And then he says, I can still remember his words. He says, you know, I think God is honored that you chose him to bring your fretting to. He's so honored. But what I've found is he, he doesn't do a lot of fretting. And so, okay, so now I'm sitting there. Um, this is not really doing it for me. It's kind of, I'm starting to kind of be like, well, the, oh, I believe you're right, but you're not helping. I can still remember what I thought. And then he says, he says this like he's had this thought for the first time in his life. He leans over his desk and he goes, I know what you should do. 
And I'm like, oh, he's about to give, you know when you just need a to-do? <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, um, after you let me pray for you and you leave here, I want you to find an intimate place and talk with your friend God. And he says, try this. He said, you're saying he's silent when you're praying? And he says, um, he says, ask him what he wants to talk about. <laughs> and um, I followed his, I left there and I, I did exactly what he said. And uh, I asked him, okay, what do you want to talk about? Just like that. I mean, kind of like a bratty child, you know? <laughs> Like I still do sometimes. What do you want to talk about? And he just answered. And he said, I like to talk about my bride. Which was nothing I was talking to him about, you know. And, um, and we have been having a conversation about his bride ever since. I didn't even really know what it meant really back then uh, when, on that day. I mean, I knew that the bride was his church. I wasn't completely clueless, but I had no idea where we were going to go. And that was the beginning uh, uh, That was the beginning of my conversation with a God who was my friend, where like, I actually care about what you care about, opening the door. You care, you care about what I care about, and, and I care about what you care about. And I, that was the day I made up my mind. I said, if, you, if that's what you like to talk about, I like to talk about that too. I shouldn't have told that story first. <laughs> That's my story. I'm sticking to it. So you know that, um, so we're going to dig into the scriptures now. Um, but you know that part of friendship, what is friendship? Friendship is sharing in appetite, right? Um, is it possible at least to have a good friend? Is it possible to have a good friend where like, um, I, I always make it all about myself and I don't give a darn what you like. <laughs> or, or vice versa, have any of you had a friend that way? You can reverse it the other way and God wants to be friends. Do you know there's a mutual respect? I think of right now, um, one of God's friends, of course this would be after Abraham, but one of his friends was David, right? And what David said, who is man that you have regard for him? What's that mean? Who is man that, like, you have a respect? You, you actually care about what I care about? <laughs> the creator of the universe cares about what I care about? That's mind-blowing. But he wants this friendship of mutual uh, walking together, right? Um, in Isaiah 41.8, um, this is speaking of Abraham, the one who, who we might consider, this is like the archetype of friendship. This is God's, um, I want to say picture, but it's not just a picture. Like this really happened. God made this friendship with a man and he wants it with you. Um, here in verse 8 it says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Can you imagine that? Later in the New Testament, in the book of James, I believe it's in chapter 2 or something, he quotes this place. It's also in Second Chronicles. It says in various places throughout the Bible, it mentions specifically that Abraham 
um, is his friend. So I just, I wanted you to know that before we dig in here. Now, if you want, turn with me to Genesis 12, and we're going to look at some things, because all friends are not created equal, right? Do you you know that um, friendship requires you actually understand what friendship is? Um, Unless you do it by default. And if you're like me, I I don't do it by default. Uh, I I had to learn (laughs) how to be God's friend. Anyone else? Okay, good. It's not just me. Okay, right here in the beginning of chapter 12, we're going to look at the beginning um, of Abram at the time. His name hadn't been changed yet. So Abram, the beginning of his relationship, the start of a friendship with God. So far up to this point, his name in the scriptures um, is mentioned, but only mentioned as part of list or genealogies. Okay, you don't get any interaction previous to this. This is how God starts the friendship. Okay, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the way God starts this, um, this relationship, this, this friendship with him. The one that the, that the word of God keeps saying, this is my friend, okay? And now, what do you see there? Do you notice that it starts out with, with a command? Um, go out of here and go do this. But what's it also start with? It also starts with a whole bunch of ways that he says, I'm, I'm gonna bless you. This is, uh, my desire is to bless you. I care about you. And it starts with this command. Now I want to show you in verse 4. Verse 4 goes on and says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Um, You know, it's so easy to follow the facts of a narrative and miss the deep relational part that's going on. Do you notice what this this is? I'm just going to review what I just said. This is the initiation of a friendship. This is the, the beginning of interacting as friends. We don't see any, any interaction before this. I'm not saying there's not. Maybe, maybe there is. It's just it's not recorded. God says those words, go somewhere where you don't even know where you're going. And verse 4 says, so Abraham departed. <laughs> Are you following me? Um. It makes me think, and I know you know the scripture, where Jesus says, if, if you love me, you'll obey. Or um, uh, what does he say? He says, um, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, now listen to me. Here's what we do with this. And Father, I just pray that some people are going to get set free right now as we teach this next part. But here's what we do with that. What's that say? This is John 15, verse 14 that I just quoted. I should, I should do 13. It says, Greater love is no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. Did he lay his life down for you? Okay, then what's that make you? His friend. Okay, and then it goes on and says, You are my friends. Friendship is always two-way. Is there any such thing as, as, as a selfish or a one-sided friendship? Now, you can have other relationships, even beneficial ones, but not a friendship. 
He says, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, let me tell you what we do. We, um, we are prone as fallen humans to turn that into a legalism. We think what Jesus just said right there is, um, if you love me, you'll do what I command. Or, or you're my friend if you discipline yourself, if you prove it <laughs> by doing everything I tell you to do. And it's simply not consistent with the nature of God, with the love, with someone who laid his life down for you. It, it doesn't align with the rest of the word of God when you look at it that way. And it's not Jesus that I know. So, so what is it really saying? You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. I'm convinced that we never succeed when we, when we try to be righteous or try to do the right thing out of duty or obligation. In fact, I think that that's, um, that's the cliff notes of this book. <laughs> it's what the whole thing says. You can't do it out of duty. But, but love, so in other words, it's a friendship is a type of love <laughs> where the result of it is doing what he commands. What he's, he's, not, he's not giving a command here. He's stating, it's a, now read it as a statement of fact. It says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. It's just a statement of fact. In other words, um, take like a marriage metaphor, okay? With my wife, um, she's my best friend. I love her more than anyone else in the world. I am always trying to figure out to be aware of, to figure out, to be doing what will bless her. She doesn't need to come and command and ask, but love causes me always to be trying to bless and do that. Like I sometimes almost wish like, you know, when we're in an argument or I'm really screwing it up or something, you just wish like, like, like no, seriously, I can't figure it out. Just tell me, <laughs> right? Tell me what to do. How am I doing that wrong? What would bless you? You see, the fruit, <laughs> it's the fruit of love. He's not saying, if you love me, I'm demanding you prove it like this. He's saying, if you love me, you'll, you'll be that kind of person. If you're, if you're that kind of friend, you'll be that person who will be doing <laughs> what my commands are. You follow? And this says, first interaction and then verse four so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him in other words what, at the very beginning what makes Abram a friend God speaks and he, he desires this friendship God, God speaks God commands and he just moves I'm going to suggest that if the word of God proves anything he didn't do it because he's like oh shoot now I'm obligated <laughs> he was the friend of God because he was filled with a type of friendship love that made him move. Made him move. It goes on. And, uh, okay, so let's go to John 15 and verse 13. I'm going to reread those words and then I'm going to keep going a little bit. It says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. Are you catching that? He's making a distinction. Now listen, we have to do, we have to do this too. <clears throat> you know, there are many places where, where in Jesus' words, throughout the word of God and God's words, um, he, he presents that you, you want to be blessed and be a servant. <laughs> you want to be first and serve. Um, in fact, at the end of this passage, we didn't read it yet. He, he, later he says, here's the command, love one another. That's service. That's being a servant, right? But I want you to notice in this passage, he's talking about something else. He's talking about the way he wants to relate to you. Um, he's talking about the relationship that he wants to have with you. And what's he saying? He's saying, um, the relationship I desire with you is friendship, not servanthood. And he draws what the distinction is. What's the distinction that he draws? You've seen this before. I want someone that I can confide in. I want someone that I can talk with. I can give you the information, right? You don't do that with a servant. You do that with a friend, Okay, um, I want to I show you um, a few things, and that's going to become really critical. I want you to keep that in mind. He's, he's looking for people that talk with him in such a way that, that he can share with you what he cares about, what's on his mind. And when we, when we taught on appetites last week, what did we say? What does he care about? What's his appetite? What's his food? to do the will of the Father and finish the work that's given to him. That's what he likes to talk about. <laughs> okay, go with me to Amos chapter 3. If you have something, if you're a page turner, you might slip something right there at John. I think we're going back there. Amos chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, now listen to these words, you only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together unless they're agreed? Now, this probably should have been a whole message of its own, but it just I felt like <laughs> the Lord's having me put this in here. That's a mouthful. You notice he says, you only have I known. And I'll tell you something, friendship is, is something about knowing. I know you well enough that I know what you'll do. In other words, it's, it's um, friendship is created walking together, right? Walking together in a commonness where where you become one to God, where he knows that, like, if I tell you something, if I share something with you, I know what you'll do. You only have I known, this says. And you have to understand, in their culture, the word known, we're a very scientific um, um, culture. For them, known was like Adam knew Eve kind of thing. You only have I known, like, intimately, deeply, I know who you are. And it says, and and then here, here's kind of the scary and beautiful part. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities. Now, now listen to me. Um, 
you remember, you know what iniquities are. We've touched on this at least before. Um, there are three things, right? There's sin that Scripture talks of. There's transgression and there's iniquity, right? You remember that? Sin is a nature thing. It's a nature problem. It's something that only the blood of Jesus could cure. Like you don't have to do anything wrong to be born in sin. You're born that way, right? Transgressions are things we actually do wrong. It's actually acting or agreeing with the sin nature instead of acting or agreeing with God. That's transgression, right? And then iniquity. What's iniquity? Iniquity is, uh, is long-term agreement with appetites other than God. Okay? It's, in other words, iniquity is, is, the, is the consequences. The, the Word of God even talks about it passing from generation to generation. You know, your actions have consequences that go on. It's biblical. It's iniquity. Iniquity is long-term agreement with other appetites. Now, I want you to notice from this Amos passage that, um, like we talked about two weeks ago, friends share appetite, right? Friends are, I, I care. do you care about that? I, then I care about that. That, isn't that right? Isn't that a good definition of friendship? And here, so why does he say, he says, I've known you, therefore, I'll punish you for your iniquities. Now, was the rest of the world full of peoples, cities, towns, nations, whatever, people that were, that were in the throes, the pain, the shame, everything that goes with iniquity? The whole earth had it, Right? But what does God say? He says, um, you only have I known of the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities. Can you imagine? I'm not trying to make this a really condemning message. The good news is Jesus' blood, right? But what I am putting out there, I am setting us up for what this passage is really leading to, which is, can two walk together unless they're agreed? Now listen, the word agreed just going to focus on this in a minute. In our culture, we go, we think agreed is like um, concession. Like, well, all right, I can agree with you, and I can walk the same direction you're going. But I want to tell you about this word. This word is, um, let me see if I can pronounce it, is yaod. Am I close? Is there language scholars? Am I close? Okay, that's how I'd say it. That's the word agreed. Can two walk together unless they're agreed? This is a word um, that is like a 50-50. It has in it our understanding of agreement, unless we're in agreement, but the other half of it that would be automatic in the word is to have a standing appointment or to set an appointment for. And when you look at the way they use the word, okay, it would mean agree, make an appointment for a specific purpose for a specific time in the future to betroth or become engaged, okay? So can, can two walk together unless our appetites merge so closely by appointment, by covenant, by betrothal, can we even walk together? This is saying we can't even walk together. So friendship, um, you want to do lord okay now i'm gonna okay we're gonna do this i'm gonna wrap this together go to genesis 18 
And all of this leads somewhere. Okay, Abraham, his friend. What we're going to read here in Genesis 18 is, um, so the context here, you, you notice we've skipped. We're like, we're like chapters beyond where God initiated or reached out to Abraham and basically said, I want to be your friend. <laughs> Now we're chapters beyond, and, and the context here is Abraham is sitting, we're not going to read all this for time's sake, but Abraham's sitting in the door of his tent, okay? A verdict has been passed in the throne room of heaven, in the courts, that Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed for the wrong appetites going on. Great iniquity, great transgressions are happening. <clears throat> And Jesus comes with, in the scripture, it's a little confusing, so I'm just going to tell you in advance, it's going to speak of two men, and it's clear that these, these are angels that are going with Jesus on assignment, right? So the three of them, the Lord and two angels, are on assignment to accomplish the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Now I'm going to start reading in um, chapter 18, verse 16. And it says, the men, those are the two angels, the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. Actually, I didn't give you enough context. Sorry about that. What happens is Jesus passes by Abram's tent on the way down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah on this assignment. Passes right by, what a coincidence, right by the door of Abraham's tent. Abraham says, um, hold on a second. Let me, you, you know, in their culture, and I believe he recognized who he was because they're friends, and so he, uh, he gets them a meal, he serves them, and that's the point that we're at, okay? And then verse 16, try this again, says, Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. So the two angels get up and look. Now listen to these words. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. Now, I'm just for time's sake, I'm going to stop there. But I want you to, to know, I hope that I did a good, good enough job here that you're noticing this pattern because it's life-changing if you get it. Okay? Shall I hide from him? Does that make you think of Jesus' words? Shall I hide from him what I'm doing? Jesus saying, I call you friends because I, I want you to know everything. Why did Jesus on assignment with these angels, or the angels on assignment with Jesus, I should say it that way, why did they pass right by his tent door? Just coincidence? I believe Jesus was passing by a friend, and he's going down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, for I've known him. And then, and then I have to tell you the rest of the story and you're going to get, if you, if you zone in here, you're going to get a real gold nugget here, okay? Life-changing. You have to understand that previously, um, Abraham and his nephew Lot split. So now listen, his nephew Lot is down in the area that's about to be destroyed, Friendship is, I care about what you care about, you care about what I care about, right? That's friendship. And you know the story. What happens next is Abraham begins to 
to kind of plead or advocate for if there are some righteous down there, um, will you destroy it? And I don't. I should know the numbers, but I, I don't. Is it started a hundred? If there are a hundred righteous, will you still destroy it? Will you kill the righteous with the wicked? And the Lord says, oh, "Okay, if there's if there's a hundred, and he keeps counting down. Why does Abraham keep counting down as he barters with the Lord here, or talks like a friend, right? Why does he do that?" He's not sure if there's a hundred. He's aware of what's going on down there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he gets, he gets all the way down to 10. Do you know why he stops at 10? Say what? You got it? Okay, that's good. That, that was such a great guess. It's so close. Give me five. No, um, it's because they knew in their culture that you didn't have an entity or, or a city or a place. The lowest government you could have would be 10. So it didn't make sense. Can you save the city if there are less than 10? It's, it's done anyway. It's not a complete government. So he st- that's why he didn't go all the way to one. But here's what I want to tell you, okay? So he speaks with him as a friend, and here's what I want you to notice. Um, I believe Jesus went by there because he knew that Abraham um, cared about Lot. It's the only conclusion you can draw. Um, if you notice, he stops at, the, it, this is being recorded in here, like this is in this book, like this is a really important thing to know, that he, that he has this, passes by the tent door, has a meal with Abram on his way to go do this thing. And if you read carefully, you start scratching your head, like every, anytime God encounters people, there's a very specific purpose in it. And the, there's life-changing transformation that happens in God encounters. And if you read that story, you find yourself scratching your head like, what's that all about? Was there any purpose in that? When you see the context, there's purpose in this. He knew Abraham would care. And I want to tell you how Abraham engaged him as a friend. Okay, now listen to me. This is the important part. He honored Jesus's desires, okay? Nowhere in the conversation do you get the sense that he's asking Jesus to write off who he is, to quit caring about the unrighteousness that's there, to change his mind about what he wants to do. Are you following me? He holds his friend's appetite, desire, assignment above what he cares about. And yet, he also is secure enough in his friendship with God that he says that he, he, he bring he submits what he cares about to God and begins, begins to uh, barter, to advocate. You know, that's a very secure relationship. Have you ever advocated for someone to God? It's called intercession. I know some of you are specifically have that gift. We're all called to it. But it's someone who knows that they're the friend of God. And it's, listen to me, we've, we've, we read this too. I, I'm so short on time, I should have made this 15 messages. But um, <laughs> um, it's a person that God can confide in who says, you know, when I give you information I know what you'll do with it. If I tell you something, I know what you'll do. That's a friend. 
I withhold nothing from you. Why can I do that? Why can I withhold nothing from you? Because I know if I tell you, I know what you'll do. I know you love me. I'm, I'm not asking you to prove yourself to me. <laughs> Friends don't do that, does it? Well, if you're really my friend, you'll do everything I say. It's not what Jesus is doing. He's saying, if you're my friend, that'll be the automatic result. If you're not seeing that, there's, there's another love. There's another appetite getting in the way. Amen? Is that right? Okay? And that's exactly why friends are those that he can give his heart to. He can give the information, the, the top secret information. <laughs> he can give you the scoop because he knows what you'll do with it. Okay. All right. As we get ready for the Lord's table here, um, I'll just close with this thought, okay? Um, so there's, there's two things here that I, that's on my heart that I believe God um, just has planned for this morning. You know, I, I always come up here. I believe, I believe God actually wants to do something, always. <laughs> the spirit wants to move. God said, well, it's day, I'm working. I'm always working because my father's always working, right? I believe that. So I never want to just come up here and teach. I always want to join what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's just my heart. Um, I believe um, two things here, okay? One is to be a friend of God. Um, we have to believe that he, he wants that. And I know that, like, sometimes it's really easy to believe that well, I believe he wants that for everybody else in the room, right? But um, so I want to put out there, the first one is you actually have to believe that he desires you. He desires to be your best friend. <laughs> not, ju not just the person in next to you or the rest of the room. To be friends, you, you, you have to be able to, and, and listen to me, I know that there are, there are wounds that the enemy has lied about the nature of God. He's used your past to harm you in ways that, that for some of us, somebody in here, or, or many of us, I don't know, are still in a season where you need a certain healing to be able to believe that he wants to be your best friend, that he loves you like that. Because that's, that's the first step. Have you ever had a good friend that couldn't believe that you actually wanted to be their friend? Shame and guilt um, will keep you from the belief that Jesus wants to be your friend. And, uh, and that it can be that we need prayer, that bond, bondages of the enemy have to be broken. It can be. Wounds can be deep enough that as much as you want to believe it, you just can't. And if that's you this morning, during the Lord's Supper, we're going to have some ministers on each side and we just want to lay hands and pray. We want to bind what the enemy's done and ask the Holy Spirit to deeply heal so that you, you can begin to let the Lord be your friend. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one is, um, as we... As we approach this table, okay, you invite people to the table. Who did Jesus invite to the table? Friends, right? And who were they? Were they who you'd expect or who they would have expected? Sinners. He, was, he, he invited prostitutes 
ended up at his table and he wanted to be their best friend and he said, now this is somebody we can, we can work with. I want to be friends with this person. Tax collectors. <laughs> People that were, that you know had to have shame and guilt problems in the culture that they lived in. They had to. They had to feel it all the time. That they, they were invited to come to his table. Okay. And I just want to put one more out there, okay? This is also the table where grace is, where his body was broken, his blood was poured out to cover sin, transgression, and iniquity. So if it, at any point in, in, in what I've taught this morning has con, convicted you in a way where you're saying, man, I really wish I was a better friend to Jesus, there's something, there's appetites that compete. There's something in my life that's, that makes me come up short on my end of the bargain. Not out of duty, but out of that love, out of that desire that I want to be a best friend to Jesus, someone he can confide in. He knows what I'll do when he speaks. He knows I'm good for it. The information. If you're struggling with that, let me just tell you something. You can get prayer over here too, but th this is the table where you can just bring that. You can just come to the table. And grace is at this table. Everything at this table is freely given. The forgiveness you need is freely given in the spilled blood of Christ at this table. Amen? Okay, let me just bless this meal. Actually, Brian, will you help me move this? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I just want to bless the meal and then I'm going to leave it open. You just come, if you just want to take a moment and um, evaluate what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart right now and then whenever you're ready, you come up to the table where everything's freely given. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that it is freely giving, that you don't, um, we don't owe you anything come to this table you paid the price we thank you that um, you invite us to be your friends it blows my mind that you um, that you want to be our friends <laughs> and I ask you Holy Spirit during this time that you'd actually be moving that you'd actually be making our hearts hearts that hunger for what you hunger for that care about what you care about um, we know that that's a miracle of your Holy Spirit that brings us into a friendship like that. And Lord, we ask that, that in the name of Jesus, we bind motives. We ask for healing in the places that, that make our motives go off track um, and makes us bad friends. <laughs> we want to be good friends with you, Jesus. And so we bless this meal and we thank you that your grace, in, in, in reality, that your grace is present and available at this table. In the name of Jesus, amen.